Well, hello, Westover, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us in service today, whether here in the room or on online. We're so appreciative of you being here. If you have your Westover app, join me, or if you have your Bible, join me in Luke chapter number 2. We're in a series in this holiday season entitled, Repeat the Sounding Joy. And I'm going to pull a phrase from the song that was played in the instrumental. Many of you were humming that and saying the words in your mind in that song, White Christmas. But there's a phrase in there I want to pull out for discussion today, and that is, Merry and Bright. And I want to pose to us a rhetorical question. What does it take to have a merry and bright life? Hmm. What does it entail for you and I to have a merry and bright life? It seems to be elusive in our culture today, but it's something I think we want to aspire towards. When I was a kid, we used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get a bucket of chicken. I remember when it came in a bucket, not a box. Remember the day? Go get a bucket of chicken. And Colonel Sanders bragged that he had a, had a secret ingredients, secret ingredients for his chicken. And he told us because of these secret ingredients, it was finger-licking good. Yeah, you with me? You know what I'm talking about. McDonald's came out with the Big Mac. Remember when they were marketing that? And the Big Mac, they bragged, had a secret sauce. Well, I figured out what the secret sauce is. It's just Thousand Island dressing. I mean, it didn't pull anything over my eyes. I, I could figure that out. So I put before us, what is the secret ingredient? What's the secret sauce to a merry and bright life? I want to suggest to us as we pose that question that many people in America today, we're living an artificial life, an artificial happiness. It's shallow. And it's really a product of primarily two, two philosophies that have become embedded in American culture. It's in markets, it's in education, it's in our language, it's in the way we live. It's, it's so embedded in us, it's a part of who we are. And these two philosophies, one of them is, is evolution. Darwin came out. And he said that we're a product of an evolutionary process. You didn't come from God, you came from a gorilla, he, he tells you. And as a product of that, he says that, that the survival is survival of the fittest. And what that means in culture today, that means if you're going to have or become anything, you get there on your own. You, you, weren't, you weren't born with purpose. In fact, the whole evolutionary process was a, was a mutation or an accident. And, and we, we, were, we, we were just working harder and striving harder. We're conquering instead of being conquered. And that comes into our culture with phrases like with self-made man. You hear that? We say it all the time. You got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Where, where do we get that? Where's that? You, you, you won't have anything unless you do it. You just got to achieve and work. That is evolutionary philosophy that's embedded in our culture. Now, you add to that something that came in the 20th century called existentialism. Existentialism says there is no higher power. There's no supreme being. There is no God. 
Well, you have existence. You're a human being. You're born. You, you have existence, but you create your own essence. And by essence, they mean your core purpose and uh, function in life. You, you, you're not born with a purpose. You decide for yourself. You've got to choose. If, if you're going to become anything, you decide for yourself. And the whole idea of self-determination came from us, came to us by existentialism. And it's this, to your own self be true. You know, it's, it's whatever's good for you, different strokes for different folks. That's existentialism. And these two theories are so much a part of our culture today that we are living lives, if you please, where, where God is not a part. We do it on our own. We have a superficial life that is not life-giving because we've built it all upon ourselves and achieve it and do it and what we can possess, what we can own, and what we can achieve on our, achieve on our own. An author came out with a book just a couple years ago. He entitled the book, The New Better Off. The New Better Off. And he is saying that in a, in a Western culture, particularly in America, there are two concepts that got to be redefined, success and the American dream. Because we've worked for some 150 years to achieve the American dream and we've determined what success is, but then came the Great Recession and then came the uh, economic disparity, social injustice and tensions and racial intentions. And it seems like the, the fabric of American culture is stressed today. And he is saying that we need to redefine what success is. And he says we've got to come up with a new better off. And what's missing today, I want to suggest to us, the reason we don't have the merry and bright life, the reason it's elusive, the reason it feels like a fairy tale analogy to us is because we're missing the key ingredient, and that is soul. That is soul. You see, the Bible teaches us an incontrovertible truth, that life and soul are inseparable. Life that we know it and the deep core being of who we are, soul, are, are inseparable. Now, we have all kinds of cult language in our culture today. Uh, soul food, soul music, uh, uh, soul mate, soul searching, soul striving. We have all this language, but it really doesn't relate to that core being of, of soul as God intended. So much so. Do you know just a few years ago, eBay said, came out with a policy, you cannot sell your soul on eBay because some people were trying to, only in America, only in America, people were putting their soul on eBay to sell. What, one lady got $20 for hers. I mean, just the gimmickry. That, that just shows you on how trivial we treat soul, how superficial Americans look at soul. Now, the Bible tells us that there are three key components of, of us as individuals. Of course, there's the physical body. And we take care of our body, and rightfully we should. We should be a steward of our body. The Bible calls it the temple of our body. We should eat well, exercise, take care of it, do, sleep well. Just That's taking care of the body. We groom it. We take, do all of these things to take care of the body, and we should. We recognize there's a physical part of us. There's another part of who we are, and that is the mental and emotional 
You've gone to college, you read a book, you go to a seminar, you try to learn more, you tell your kids learn more, achieve more, educate yourself more. Why? To develop the, the mental, intellectual facet of life as well as emotional. We do things from a vacation to music. We do all these things that, that bring emotional fulfillment, relief, and uh, unplugging and cultivate the emotional part of who we are. Taking time for meditation and so forth. That, that strengthens our emotional person, and we should do that. But those are the two primary areas that Americans give attention, and hence I say we're living an artificial life that is not life-giving. But the Bible tells us there's another key ingredient of who we are, which is really the primary person of you, who you and I are, and that is our soul. The Bible tells us that we have a soul, and the soul is the primary person, and we look at the soul as maybe something in the back drawer, something in the back of our life. It may or may not exist. We don't understand it. We don't relate. We focus on the physical, the intellectual, and emotional. But really, the Bible pictures that the soul is the core being of who we are. The soul is really the essence, if you please. It's the true person of who you are. And God creates a soul, and with that, he gives you a body, and he gives you a mind and emotions. And really, when the soul is cultivated, everything else in life works better. Everything else in life is enhanced. But today, in America, we kind of jettison the soul and are willing to sell it on eBay for $20. You see, we live in a soul challenged world if you're a follower of Christ you know what I'm talking about there are some things you hear on the news that just make you wonder there's some things that you hear on the news that kind of kind of bring sorrow to you an emotion that 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 that, that bring kind of a, a a bad feeling a sad feeling but there are things that we encounter in culture in the world today that really cause your soul to cringe I mean it goes down deeper than, than just an emotion. For example, last week, I heard the news, and, and it caused my soul to cringe, of a mother with, with twin 10-month-old boys drowned them in a bathtub. And when I read it, I said, oh, I just, I was cringing of, of how horrific, how hideous that was. That wasn't just shock. That wasn't just an emotion. There was something in my soul that ached when I heard that. For you see, God has created us with the soul, and inevitably in life, when the soul is neglected, self takes over. Self begins to dominate. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, it's the creation story that God made man, we call him Adam, and God made man in his image. What is it about us that's in the image of God? Does God have hair and ears? And I know, doesn't have that then what is it about us that we're in the image of God? The Bible says, in God formed man out of the dust of the earth. But at that point, man was formless. He didn't have a, didn't have a name. He didn't have a personality. He wasn't alive because he didn't have soul yet. But in Genesis 2, 7, here's what the Bible says. And then God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God deposited soul within 
human beings. That's what we have that's in the image of God, is we have a soul. God is spiritual. God's primary identity is spiritual. And yours and my primary identity is soul, is spirit. And God gifted and God deposited within everyone in here a soul. Now, according to evolution and existentialism, you don't have a soul, but deep down, in, in, the, in, the, in the deepest area of your heart, in the deepest area of your mind, you know and you sense that is not true. There is soul. There is purpose. There is something more meaningful than just the body and just the mind and the emotions. God has more for us. He created us as soul. Now, Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, verse number 30, he says to love the Lord with all your soul. And Jesus teaches us this lesson, that devotion to God causes the soul to flourish. That's why in America today, there, there is a sense of soullessness. There's a, there's a, a, a void in hearts. Why? Because there is a lack of devotion to God. And every Christ follower knows that when you, when you make Jesus the center of your life, when Jesus comes in... The soul comes alive. The real person awakens and becomes alive. And devotion to God surely causes the soul to flourish. And that's what God is teaching us. And that's what he is instilling in, in us. And in order to have the merry and bright life, we must, we must have our souls brought to life by Jesus. So it comes down to this. Do we want to have a soul-satisfying life or do we want to have a soul-satisfying life? Soul-satisfying is just, just going through the routine and the practice and, 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 and all of the issues and the, 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 the routines of life. And life will be just so satisfying. But if we do life God's way and recognize what God wants for us, we'll have a soul-satisfying life. And I want to suggest to us, to have a merry and bright life, it comes from soul. With that in mind, I'm going to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter number 2, verse number 8 through 12. And in Scripture, we have the account of the shepherds coming to the, excuse me, the angels coming to the shepherds as they were in the field, and they're going to announce the birth of the Christ child. Now, for those who have been to the Holy Land with us before, we've actually been to this location. We go to the traditional spot where it's believed that Jesus was actually born, and we actually go out in what's called the shepherd fields. They still exist today. In Bethlehem, there's a hillside that's called the shepherd's field. That's where the sheep would graze. And there are actually caves that are natural caves that have been created over time. And the shepherds at night would herd the sheep into these caves to protect them from predators, thieves, and the sheep wandering off. And they would keep watch over their sheep by night. And inevitably, when we go to uh, Bethlehem and we take the, the Israel tour to the shepherd's field and we stand in that cave, I lead them in, oh, Oh, come let us adore him. It's a wonderful moment to be in the place that the shepherds were when the angels came to them. With that in mind, 
Let's read in Luke chapter number 2, verse number 8 and following. It says, And there were shepherds living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Do you know what that is saying? It's saying Jesus came so you could have a merry and a bright life. He's going to bring great joy for all people. You're qualified. You're included in that. It's not where you were born. It's not your social status. It's not your citizenship. It's not your economic status. It's for all people. Today, verse number 11, in the town of David, here are three titles given to Jesus. A Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, number three, the Lord. Notice verse number 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Now, there are three titles given to Jesus in verse number 11. They're in the, the notes in the app. But I'm going to pull out the first one, and I'm going to unpack it a little for us right now. And I believe it holds the key to having a merry and a bright life. For unto you is born this day a Savior, a Savior. And because Jesus is Savior, that means he redeems the soul. The first title given to Jesus spoken to the shepherds, is he is a Savior. And because he is a Savior, Jesus is in the business and his assignment is to redeem the soul. Now the word Savior here is a word that was common in that culture. What do I mean? The emperor of Rome, and Israel was under Roman rule at this particular time, the emperor would take the title to himself as Savior. Does it mean that he was an advocate for the people. No, he crushed and by brutality and a blood, blood blast, he would bring in Roman rule. He would, he would conquer the region. Then he would tell the people, I'm your savior. After, after he murdered and killed so many people and brought them under Roman rule and Roman taxation, he declared himself as a savior. The people did not consider the Roman emperor the savior. And then here the angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds and he's saying, the true Savior. The Savior has come. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. Now, this Savior is not here to crush you and conquer you. This is a Savior that's going to rule and demonstrate his love to you. This is a Savior that's different from the Roman emperor. This is a Savior that here is to redeem the soul. He's not here to control and conquer your life. He's not trying to put his Roman heel on your neck. He is a Savior because he redeems the soul. At Westover, we have a mission statement. Making new, making great. Making new refers to the moment that a soul is redeemed unto God. The moment of salvation. When we, through faith in Jesus, say, Jesus, come into my life, and we say that Jesus saves the soul. When that happens... When somebody invites Jesus into their heart, Jesus saves their soul. We call that making new. God comes in on our invitation and his redemptive grace and forgiveness. He saves us all the spiritual part that was dormant. And for some of us, kind of, we could even say dead because of its inactivity. It's brought back to life. 
It's resurrected, if you please. It's brought back to life, and we have new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the business of redeeming the soul. He is the Savior. Now, we refer to ourselves as Christians as being Christ followers. Some people are merely Christ admirers. Some are people are Christ interested. But to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, Jesus must be your Savior. He has to be more than a good idea or an example of humanitarian social justice. Jesus wants to be Savior and Lord in our life. And I want to illustrate that for a moment by these chairs. I want to I want to use these chairs as an illustration of our relationship with God. Now for just a moment, I'm going to I'm going to say this chair represents God. As it were, for a moment just follow with me in the analogy, God is sitting in this chair. This is God's chair. This is the chair of our life. This is the chair that represents you and I. So this is God and here is God. Now, God cares. God wants to redeem us. But many of us, this represents our life. We're separated from God. We're not connected with God. And we're not close to God. And there's some people that say they don't believe in God. They don't see God. And sure enough, they don't. Why? Because they turn their back intellectually, emotionally, they have dismissed God. They don't believe in a soul. And God is spirit, and the how we communicate with God is spirit, is soul. And when we deny soul, we deny spirit, we have no ability to acknowledge, see, or experience God. As it were, we've turned our back on God. We're not close to God. We're not connected with God. For some of us, we have bought into the whole existentialism. We don't need that. You do it yourself, be to your own self, be true. Nevertheless, God is facing us. God is calling. God is summonsing. God desires to be in a relationship with us. Now, for some of us, this represents the relationship we have with God. We acknowledge God. We believe in God. We can see God. We maybe see God and in nature, we see God in creation. We sometimes even see God working in circumstances. And we say it's more than a coincidence. Maybe we have a spiritual moment. Something awakens. Faith is touched. Occasionally we pray. And we have an awareness of God. But we're still separated from God. We're neither connected nor close to God. And that's some of us. Some of us, God just shows up when we need him. We say, God, you stay over there. I'm not a religious fanatic. I, I, I'm not caught up. I don't need God or religion as a crutch. But we acknowledge there is a God because we can see God and we see God's handiwork and his workings in lives from time to time. Now, some of us, our relationship with God is like this. This is God, and this is us. We say we're close to God, but we're not aligned with God. Oh, I talk to God. 
I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I, I go to church. I pray. But we're not aligned with God. We say, I believe some of what the Bible teaches. But here it is. Here's that existentialism that comes in our conversation. If you want to believe those things about the Bible, if that's for you, that's all right. But for me, it's different. I believe it differently. So the Bible for us is not a manual for living. It's a menu, and we choose what we want to believe. And our, our misalignment with God, sometimes we call it an alternate lifestyle. We call it a different set of values, a different set of preferences. We do all kinds of excuses that we bring in and say, I am close to God, but the reality is we're not aligned with God. And somehow we've rationalized intellectually or otherwise why we can be close to God and not in alignment with God. Now, some of us, this represents our relationship with God right here. Yes, we're close to God, but God always takes the back seat in our life. God is always secondary. And God only shows up when we need him. We say, God, you be there. I want to be close. I'll go to church, I read the Bible, I do certain things, I, I, I have certain adherences, but I still want to be in the driver's seat of my life. I want you close, but I don't want you controlling my life. And that's where some of us are at right now. But Jesus wants to be your Savior. And to be your Savior, this is the relationship that God wants with us right here. Where we're close to Christ and we're connected with him. We're close to God, but we're connected. And that is to say, every major decision we talk to God about. Daily, we talk to God. Daily, we look for God's direction. Everything in our life, our career, our family, our emotions, our, everything we have, God is integrated. We're close and we're connected. This is the picture of what Jesus wants to be in our life. He wants to be our Savior and our Lord. And Jesus came that he could save the soul. This is the relationship God wants to have with you. And if your relationship is other than that, if it's this, if it's this, Jesus wants to be your Savior. I don't know if you heard on the news, just recently was reported a few days ago, in Atlanta, Tyler Perry went to Walmart here in the Christmas season, and he paid off $433,000 worth of layaways for people that had Christmas gifts at Walmarts in Atlanta for Christmas. Did you hear about that story? Now let me explain. Some of you, this is what layaway is. Okay, you don't have a piece of plastic, you don't go swipe it, you don't walk in and say, here, I put it in the machine, and you walk out with your product even though you haven't, you haven't paid it off, okay? Layaway is completely different. Layaway is when you go in and you say, I want that item, you pay something down, you don't walk out of the store with it yet. They take the product and they put it in the shelf in the store, they put your name on it, and they say, 90 days or 180 days, whatever it is, you pay on it. And when you pay it off, no interest. The beautiful thing about layaway, there is no interest. 
you get your product. Well, people put gifts on layaway for Christmas that they could have. Well, without their knowing, Tyler Perry went in and he paid off $433,000 worth of unpaid balances at Walmart for people to get their Christmas gift. Can you imagine getting the call, walking in to pick up your gift, and you've saved up the money, and you go to pay for it and say, it's already paid for? What do you mean? No, it has to be. No, I'm telling you. Somebody you don't know, somebody you haven't met, somebody that's a stranger to you, reached out to you and paid off the entire account, you can have the gift taken home. Can you imagine? Ah, this is great. High five celebration. Can you know they're getting on the phone. They're, trying, they're telling us, you, you, you're telling me the truth. Absolutely, it was paid off. We have our gift. We have it, and we didn't have to pay for it. Now, somewhere along the line, I believe this conversation happened. I just put myself in their shoes, okay, just for a moment. I mean, maybe no one else did. But when I read it, I put myself in their shoes. Can you imagine after the elation, celebration, the high five, yes, it's free, it's paid off, we get it home. Somewhere around a dinner table, a conversation went something like this. You know what? We bought the 32-inch. If we'd known he was going to pay that off. <laughs> Marlo! I wanted the 85-inch flat screen. You told me I couldn't have it. You wanted a new washing machine, and I gave away getting my 85-inch flat screen because you wanted new dresses or a coat or a washing machine. And can I tell you, if we would have just put the 85-inch on layaway, we would have got the 85-inch and not the 32-inch. If if you'd have known it, if those people would have known it, I'd been in Atlanta, and somebody told me, if you'll use layaway, put what you can down, but in December, somebody's going to come in and pay it all off. I wouldn't get one iPad. I'd buy Denise one, the dog one. I'd, I'd buy the grandkids one, the nieces and the nephews. The I'd buy, I'd say, I want every iPad you have, every size, every color. Go ahead and all the features and the accessories to every iPad you have. And I'm going to put them on layaway because somebody in December is going to pay it all off and I'm going to get it. Here's what I'm saying. I don't think we realize all that Jesus paid for in his life. I think some of us are living an artificial life and our bright and merry life is subdued because it has to come from how we feel physically or look physically or how we feel emotionally or how we rationalize it intellectually not knowing that Jesus redeems the soul, the core, the true essence of who we are. Jesus saves the soul. And when the soul is happy, when, there's, when, there's, when the soul is made alive, it makes life right. And it puts life back into perspective. And one songwriter who knew Jesus face conditions of life that you and I would think are disappointing. But this is the words he wrote in the song. It is well with my soul. You see, if the soul is right, 
when the soul finds its purpose, the rest of life, the rest of life makes sense. You can deal with the rest of life when the soul is healthy and the soul is whole. And that's what Jesus is. He's our Savior. The Savior. And the story I read to you from Scripture, there's something in verse number 12 you've got to see. I think many of us read by verse number 12 and we miss the significance of it, but allow me to read it one more time. Luke 2 and 12. For unto you born this day in the city of David, a Savior is Christ the Lord. Verse number 12. And this will be a sign to you. He's speaking to the shepherds. This is going to be your sign. This is how you're going to find out who the real Savior is. This is who you're going to find the Savior of the world. This is the indication. This is the signpost. This is the indicator. You're going to find him. How do you know it will be the, the Savior? You will find a babe wrapped in cloths. Did you ever notice that? Wrapped in cloths. I think many of us have misread that. You see, many of us see the picture of a baby and a baby blanket wrapped around the Christ child, just a, a blanket wrapped around him. What is the sign about a baby? If you were to go to Bethlehem that day, every baby, every baby would have a cloth wrapped around, a tunic, a cloth, a blanket, something wrapped to to swaddle and cover and protect the baby. But he said, this is going to be a sign to you. This baby is going to be different from any other baby. This baby is the Savior. And here is the sign. He's wrapped in cloths, plural, huh? The New Living Translation says, wrapped tightly. In cloths, which is actually exactly what happened. You see what was different about this baby? He's the Savior of the world. You're going to find him because he's going to be wrapped different from any other baby that normally would be wrapped. And it was cloths, strips of cloth. And Jesus was wrapped his arms, his legs, his torso, his entire body. He was wrapped in cloths around his arms, his legs, and his torso. And the scripture says that's the sign. He's going to be wrapped different. What was significant about the way that Jesus was wrapped? No mother would ever wrap a baby like that. Why? It's the burial wrap. Yes, it's the burial wrap. This is how... Lazarus was wrapped when he was placed in the grave. When somebody was dying, they would take the body and they would wrap it with cloths, the extremity, the arms, the torso, the legs. And that was the sign you're going to know this baby is the Savior of the world. He's going to be wrapped in a burial style. Well, you see, he was born to die. He was born to die. Can you imagine? Mary knew exactly what it meant when the Holy Spirit told him, don't wrap a blanket like every other mother. Wrap him in the burial style. Put cloths all around him. And she understood. That blessed lady understood from his very first 
breath. He was destined to die on the cross. He's a savior. He's going to have to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus was born to die. He's the savior of the world. He died so you could have a merry and bright life. He died so the part of you that feels dead and dormant and lifeless and empty, the soul could be filled with his presence. He took the punishment of our sin. He took the, he took the, the reprimand of God upon him. And he became the sacrifice and the savior of all mankind. He was born to die. And the angel said, that's why he's a savior. He can be your savior today. Perhaps Christ for you is depicted as this chair. You're not close and you're not connected. He gave his life so you could be close and connected with God. And I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Has nothing to do with this church. Oh, no. No, religion wants to start on the outside and work inward, but Jesus starts inward and works outside. He starts in the soul. That's what God wants to do for you. So across this audience, no one moving, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity to know Christ as your Savior. Knowing Him as Savior means that we invite Jesus into our what we call our heart. Literally, we surrender our soul to the Lord. We say, Jesus, come into the core being, that part, that's that, that innermost sanctum of my life called the soul, and take charge of it and fill me, forgive me. God, take my soul, save my soul, bring me alive. Let Jesus be my Lord. And Jesus can and will do that for you today. And if you're ready to make that decision, if you're ready to ask Christ into your heart, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And some of us, we, our chair was moved close to Christ and we were connected, but for whatever reason, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, for the last few months or last few years, we've been distant and separated from God. But you know God's been calling you and God's been speaking to you and this is the time to reconnect with God. And you know in the heart of hearts, in your soul, your soul longs for God. You on the count of three, raise your hand. You're not too bad, you haven't messed up too much because Jesus died for all of our sins. There's nobody here so far from God or so messed up that God can and won't save their soul if they'll call on the name of the Lord. So here it is here's your invitation. If you want to receive Christ, one. Yes, young man, God sees your hand. 
God knows exactly what that represents in your journey to the Lord. I'm going to ask our prayer team to move forward, expeditiously prayer team, Deacon and Deacons, would you come forward. Heads bowed and eyes closed, you raised your hand. I'm not asking you to join this church, but we want to pray with you today. We want to lead you in a moment of prayer to what it means for Jesus to save your soul. It can happen for you today. So prayer team, deacon and deaconess, as you move forward expeditiously now, I'm going to invite everyone that raised your hand to step forward right now, and we want to pray with you. If you raised your hand, would you come forward right now? We're going to pray with you. Yes. Yes. Staff, join me at the front to pray with people. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Turn the balcony. We have people standing in the aisle. Just walk over there to them. It's not awkward. It, it may feel awkward. For those, please, just hold on a minute. We'll dismiss in a moment. No one leaving. Thank you. You come forward. We're going to pray with you. Yes. Thank you. Our deacon and deaconess, we need some prayer team members down here right over to my left. Right here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody pray with you. Yes, somebody's going to pray with you. walk over where you're at. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't raise your hand, but you know you should have. You can come forward right now. You say, I, I should have raised my hand, but I didn't. You come forward right now. Just step forward right here. Just step right here in the center. Somebody will pray with you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You come. Yes, you come right now. Yes. Thank you. You come. Someone's been on a journey. Someone's, you're, you're talking to yourself right now, and you're saying, but, and you're going to a moment where you promised and didn't follow through, and you have an experience that seems irreparable in your life, unredeemable in your life. Don't believe that. God's not giving up on you. Don't you give up on what God can do for you. You come now. We're going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you. You come now. God has something he can do in your life. Here's what the angel said. Today, he was saying this is a new day. This is a new moment. Today, God can do something today. Because, because of the birth of Jesus, God can do something in your life. You can have a new beginning starting today. Yes, they're still coming. You come. Yes, ma'am, you come. Somebody else. Please come. This is the most important moment right now. This is when we make that decision for Jesus. Yes, ma'am, somebody will pray with you. Somebody will pray with you. Yes. This is where God changes life. I was 14 years old. I didn't understand it all. I couldn't have repeated it. I couldn't have explained it. I remember just going down and saying, God, there's a part of me that feels profoundly empty and aimless. It was because I, I was trying to do life without soul, and Jesus came into my heart. That's what God does, and that's what he's doing right now. Pray with me.
Father, I just thank you, Lord, for these wonderful people for making the very personal and individual choice to receive Christ as Savior. This is a new beginning and a new step for them. They're calling on the name of the Lord. Like many of us, when we first come to Christ, some don't feel they're good enough or worthy and don't feel religious enough. But God, that has nothing to do with salvation. You just require honesty and faith. And when we come and say, God, come into my life, you're faithful and just to do that. And I pray, Lord, today, as people commit and recommit their life to the Lord, that God will begin a new work that they will sense God's purpose and promise in their life. They will sense, Lord, their soul is saved. They will sense, God, a, a new awareness of your presence. Fill them with your presence and your assurance today in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, over this wonderful congregation here in the audience, people are celebrating their faith in Christ. Many of us, hundreds of us here, are recalling the time we called on the name of the Lord. Jesus saved us and we can say with confidence he saved our soul he turned our life around and I thank you for that and I bless them and I speak your blessings upon them and Lord during this holiday this Christmas season we celebrate what Jesus means to us and I thank you for that and it's in the name of our Savior Jesus I pray Amen Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Go in the goodness of the Lord.